Okay. Here we go. Another uh, dispatch, this time from Ukraine with Holly McKay. Holly, um, where are you right now? Uh, I'm currently in the capital of Ukraine, which is Kiev. Jeez. Well, that's a little bit different from Kabul, but um, uh, how long have you been there? Um, I can't remember because I've been in Albania for the past week before this, and then I came, I guess, a week ago. Okay. So, and this is right in the middle of uh, a period where in negotiations and diplomacy between the U.S. and Russia are uh, at a peak around the world. The whole world is watching. Um, uh, and last night, I believe the uh, uh, Vladimir, Vladimir Putin was in China uh, with Xi Jinping at the uh, uh, Winter Olympics. And, um, you know, so they, they were met there. And that's in the context of where you are now. So where have you been in, in Ukraine in the last week? Um, so I've, I've been in the capital and I also drove, thought it was a long drive, across the country all the way to the eastern part, uh, which is currently in a state of war. And I think that it's been at war for eight years. So while we are hearing the media now about a big Russian buildup around the country, what a lot of people don't realize is that a section of the country that borders Russia has been in a very brutal, intense conflict, essentially with pro-Russian-backed separatists, um, which if you ask Ukrainian people, they usually say, well, that's just Russia. Technically, um, they are, they are separatists in those areas. And so it's, it's, it's a really brutal war. So I was in a lot of those areas, uh, cities like Kromatorsk and Avdivka, which have uh, been occupied by these uh, by these groups in the past, and they're just outside of Donbass, which is under the pro-Russian occupation as it is. Okay, well, yeah. So uh, for for people that that aren't familiar, this that particular conflict actually erupted um, kind of around the same time that uh, Russia annexed Crimea, and um, and yeah. So it all basically there. it all basically spawned in the beginning of 2014. Uh, there were some peaceful protests. They called it the Maiden Revolution. Um, that was in the Independent Square here in Kiev, and that was really, um, you know, a really a sort of a grassroots movement, which uh, they wanted to see their their president Yanukovych basically oust. Um, and they it turned very violent in the end. So what was it? As we see in many countries, what was a peaceful protest when police brutally started beating a lot of the protesters, and that sort of ignited. A quite a, a visceral response from the people, and he was actually asked from government, um, and that obviously upset President Putin quite a bit because he was basically a puppet to him. Um, and from there, pretty much immediately is when we saw Putin annex Crimea, and then just a couple of weeks later, uh, even though they deny it, uh, effectively they backed separatists to to violently go into Ukrainian territory and, and take parts of the east. Yeah, there you go. So that's been going on for quite a while. Um, did you get an impression that uh, it is more intense now or about the same as it's been for the last eight years in, in the separatist uh, contested part of Ukraine? Yeah, I think it's really um, it's been pretty steady for the past eight years is my understanding. Not necessarily any more intense. Um, maybe a little bit less intense, certainly, than it was, especially right at the beginning. Um, so they really haven't seen any changes in those those parts. So 
for Ukrainians, it's it's a little bit perplexing as to to why it's suddenly you know get getting attention now when it's really been something that has been going on a really long time. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. That 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 seems to be um, a steady state war there. How is the rest of Ukraine as you step away from the separatist contested zone and back into the main part of the country in in Kiev? Um. You know, you know, Ukrainians aren't really, you know, they take all this pretty much in their stride. Um, they're not, you know, a lot of countries you go to, you'd probably see a mass panic of, of people trying to leave or, or trying to hold supplies, whatever it is. And there's certainly none of that, uh, that I'm seeing at all in Ukraine. Maybe things in Kiev are a little bit more intense only because, you know, the capital isn't used to any kind of conflict. Um, and there are sort of a lot of rumors percolating that, the, the Russian strategy would be to encircle the capital and, and sort of force the demands upon upon the government or, or the fall to to oust the regime to oust the government I should say here, but I think in the east, I mean it's again it's even though it isn't a state of war, you're really just seeing business as usual because they have become accustomed to it and they've learned to adapt their lives around what is happening. And so the sort of the threats and the talks and things that are happening now isn't necessarily ruffling their feathers, so to speak. But having said that, uh, Ukrainians are still certainly making preparations, um, you know, should should an invasion happen. And you're seeing a lot of movements with um, sort of civil defense um, a lot of civilians doing training, um, a lot of people buying weapons. Ukrainians very much take this pride in, in what they call their, their Second Amendment movement unofficially. Um, they very much look to America um, and the idea of the right to bear arms. And it's something that Ukrainians, especially after the, the revolution that happened that did turn violent, um, they they took that very seriously. And, and so a lot of Ukrainians you'll meet, it's a sort of a very non-taboo subject to talk about the weapons that you own. And, and uh, government officials, you know, they'll go to the front lines too and they'll take their own Kalashnikov with them. So um, Ukrainians are, are very determined to to, to fight. And, and that's not just from the military point of view, but, but civilians are not going to just kind of run away as that we see um, in a lot of countries that I've worked in, frankly. Okay. Well, that's, that's very interesting. So, um, last question. Um, given the, what you've seen in Ukraine and, and clearly, uh, I, I think what you're indicating here is that Ukrainian people are not of a mind to give up their sovereignty in, in any way, shape or form, uh, uh, with, without a fight. Um, and in the context of on the global, uh, 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 aspect of this, you've got many, of the world's countries, you know, all the way to the UN Security Council, the the the, the Russians have the presidency of the Secu- UN Security Council this month. The US is uh, rallying as much of NATO as it can in order to and basically say we need to counter on the west side what the Russians are doing on the east side in terms of positioning major pieces of military equipment. Um how do you think that whole international play is uh, affecting the Ukrainians because uh, you're on the ground and, and, and seeing them. How much of, how much of all this noise that's going on around them is really something that they're involved in? Are they spectators to outsiders playing around with their country like a, uh, a toy? I mean, for the most part, and of course I can't speak for everybody, but for the most part, Ukrainians are, are really, um, 
appreciative of the U.S. and and other NATO countries sending them weapons. Uh, They realize that they are a country of 44 million as opposed to Russia, which is a country of 144 million. So therefore, their arsenal is is much more extensive. The Ukrainian military for, you know, historically has been very, very weak. And up until, you know, 2014, it it was barely in existence. And when the situation in Crimea and Donbass happened, that really sparked this this importance of of building that military capacity. And honestly, at the beginning, they were crowdfunding. You know, people would receive a text message on their phone and say, "Here, donate seventy cents a week to support the you know buildup of a Ukrainian military." So it's a very new military, and they certainly don't have that. The while they have numbers and, and a lot of very tenacious fighters, they don't really have the experience necessarily or the certainly not the equipment um, to to sort of push back against uh, a Moscow-led um, military. So they're very uh, set on, on wanting to receive as much support from Western countries as they can. And obviously that includes weapons and it's very important for them, I guess, to, to have that, that backing. It's, um, it's something that they see as their only sort of hope, so to speak, because they know just how vastly outnumbered and, and potentially outgunned they would be if a, if a ground invasion was to happen. Yeah. Are you getting the impression from, uh, the people that you have been able to interact with in your interviews in Ukraine that the, that type of assistance is forthcoming from the West? Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, a, a, a government, someone very close to the president said that they were receiving, you know, basically seven shipments a day of equipment and they were very, very grateful for that. Um, but really this, the sort of the situation in terms of nobody really knows, I think, obviously what Putin is going to do. And that really is something that changes hour by hour, day by day as to, you know, how he's going to play those cards. Um, I think if you'd asked me a couple of days ago, did I think an invasion would happen? I probably would have told you no. However, in the last 24 hours, um, I have received inf- interesting information, both from Kiev and from, from very well-placed sources in DC that they are preparing for something to happen, um, you know, within two to three weeks, basically that, Moscow is demanding that the U.S. makes concessions on either uh, the Minsk agreement, which was essentially the 2004 ceasefire agreement in the Donbass region, or they want uh, guarantees that Ukraine will never enter NATO. And, and both of those are not concessions, to my understanding, that Washington is prepared to budge on, which really leaves, you know, uh, the opportunity there for, for Putin to have to take some form of, of action. And, and we aren't quite sure, obviously, what that action will be and how much will that be cyber, how much will that be kinetic, uh, whether it be ground, whether it be from the air. But he, uh, Mr. Putin certainly has many options. And I think at this particular point, Ukrainians are expecting something certainly to happen within the month. Okay. Well, um, that's about as good an on the ground update as one could ask for, uh, because it is a very dynamic situation. So with that, uh, I will say thank you, Holly. Um, you always do seem to wind up in those parts of the world that are the most interesting to cover at any given point in time and, um, uh, keep doing your job. Thank you, Dennis. I appreciate it. <laughs>